Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. All right, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We are poking around looking for my pal, mentor, Art Laffer. Be here in just a second or two. Um, just let me come back to where I was at the break and this uh, business about uh, Comer and the FBI. You know, it's just, again, like pulling teeth. You just got to ask yourself, the FBI, which has tried to fix, tried to fix the 2016 election, it was unsuccessful, Trump won anyway, and then was the main driver of the Russian hoax, the complete Russian hoax, there was never any collusion, all through Trump's administration, including a failed impeachment. And now, you know, we come up with this uh, business, and, and by the way, the CIA is part of this conspiracy. You got all these liberals, lefties, uh, running the FBI in Washington, D.C. I, I, I mean, these are not the G-men of old which is tragic because we need them. We need them to fight crime, but they're just weaponizing their own power. The Justice Department, which oversees the FBI, is uh, as culpable, if not more so. Merrick Garland is a fierce partisan. Um, all these things, steel dossier, phony FISA warrants, etc., etc. you know probably as much about this as I do, if not more. But it's like... This Comer story with this whistleblower and this informant and this 1023 document, it's here they go again. So we know that they were in possession of the document, and we also know from the whistleblower, who was a senior uh, IRS agent, we know that they had been in possession of the informant's testimony. And we know that they did not pursue it. But we know that they knew what was in this paper, in this document. So this is another major blow to their credibility. And for the life of me, I think, you know, here's Christopher Wray, who is the FBI director now. He was appointed by Trump, by, by the way, ironically after Trump got rid of Comey. But here's this guy trying to stifle it, right? He's subpoenaed by Congress, violating the subpoena. The Justice Department wouldn't execute the subpoena. You know, now they may go after him with criminal charges or civil charges or who knows what. But this is something that reflects so badly on the FBI. And I don't know why they keep fighting City Hall. And they're ruining their reputation before the public. All right. Let's put that one aside. We have my dear friend and mentor, Dr. Arthur Laffer, who 
was the longtime chairman and chief economist of Laffer Associates, Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, and the author of a very important new book it's called Taxes Have Consequences, an in Income Tax History of the United States. Uh, Thank you, Arthur. Appreciate you doing this. Larry, you're wonderful. Thank you very much. And what you didn't say was best friend of Larry Kudlow. <laughs> you betcha. <clears throat> what little I know about economics, I have learned from my friend Art Laffer. That is the truth. Arthur, well, you've I'm done more for economics, Larry, than anyone I can think of, to be very <laughs> serious. Chief economist at the OMB, uh, NEC director for President Trump, and on TV for now how long? <clears throat> 30 years? It's been about... 20 years plus, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. But Arthur, I'm reading a headline. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw Biden's 7 p.m. Friday night speech. I didn't see it. No one in their right mind would have seen it. On a well, I saw it, but summer. I didn't watch it. I saw it in flip channels, so far, sorry. <laughs> right, okay. So the headline is Biden says U.S. dodged economic collapse. This is his first Oval Office speech since uh, since he was president. Actually, it's his very first Oval. Was there an economic collapse? I mean, if there's an economic collapse, it was a collapse from his high inflation and his attacks on uh, free market capitalism. But what's he talking about? Well, you know, let me just say, Larry, one of the most fascinating things in the world is reading the answers to exam questions done by F students. <laughs> it is unbelievable the amount of nonsense they can imagine and create, and it's beyond beyond belief at what type of weird stories they can do it. And Biden's no different than they are. Uh, what he does is he grasps at anything that sounds good for him, and that's it, and that's the story, and it has no economic sense whatsoever, just none, Larry. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. It's, it, it's the worst. I mean, it's not the worst in world. Herbert Hoover was worse. There are a bunch of them that were worse. Nixon was really bad, too. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of bad ones over the period, but this is right in the running with one of the worst administrations ever from the standpoint of economics. And, of course, he dodged this deal. He didn't want to cut any spending for months and months and months. Uh, Kevin McCarthy was trying to make a deal. Biden wouldn't want to make a deal. Now Biden's trying to take credit for the deal. I just love this. I just, yeah. it's like, it, it's, it's so untruthful. It's so boldly untruthful. Well, that's why I said my F students. My F students are never truthful because they don't know the right answer. They just guess and say anything that might uh, look make them look good. And that's what, uh, that's what uh, President Biden's doing. All right, let's switch gears from uh, goofy Biden. Um, let's talk about inflation and your judgment. What's happening on the inflation front and what's the outlook? How do you see it? Well, you know, inflation comes in waves. It has historically, if you look at it in the, in the late 70s, you know, from 75 on, there were periods and it rose very sharply, then it would fall back, then it would rise again. As long as the underlying conditions aren't changed, Larry, there is no reason to believe that inflation will be coming down. Hmm. And the underlying conditions have not changed. They really haven't. <clears throat> the Fed's policies, cumulative policies over the last three years, four years, have been exceptionally pro-inflation. Uh, the economy, uh, with the, all the spending and all the tax increases and all of that, <coughs> excuse me, have, have led to uh, have led to very poor performance for real goods and services. With with the monetary policy being screwed up and then uh, slow growth, that's a prime environment for inflation to take root and to really prosper. And I'm not. I don't believe we have seen the end of inflation by any means. So what is to be what is to be done? <coughs> 
Go take a glass of water. Or yeah, sorry, I just uh, got in from the field. Um, oh. Excuse me, what was the question? I think I'm pretty clear now. All right. <clears throat> um, I was just going to ask you what is to be done. What should be done? Yeah. <clears throat> well, the Fed should stop buying assets, period. They should have the uh, Fed balance sheet should be shrunk very dramatically, especially the monetary base. It should be con- contracted quite substantially. And then on the other side of the equation, Larry, we need to be pro-growth policies, which means a lower tax rates, broader tax base, spending restraint. You know, government spending, it causes inflation. It doesn't stop inflation. And pull back on government spending, and then you want to make sure you deregulate to create the growth that you need. And as I say all the time at the very end, free trade really helps inflation. There's nothing like a strong dollar. There used to be someone I knew who was very famous at the time, said uh, there's nothing better than King Dollar. Do you remember that guy? (laughs) Yes, I do. Still saying it. (laughs) It's true, and it's still just as true as it was then. So uh, does it make sense for the Fed to keep raising rates? Well, you know, they shouldn't be in the rate business, Larry. Mm -hmm. You know, price controls never worked, and what they're trying to do is control interest rates. They're trying to control the price of bonds. And it's not, I mean, it's working, but it's not working to the betterment of the economy. So how far should they go? They should stop interfering, intervening in the bond market, period. focus on the balance sheet. And they should start reducing their balance sheet quite substantially over the next two years by trillions of dollars. What would that do to rates? I I don't know, but they would be market-driven, not Mm Fed-driven. And once they're market-driven... You're going to find some people losing out. You're going to find some people being very successful. But that's what markets are all about. You can't have profits without losses, Larry. Mm-hmm. And if you prohibit people from making losses, if you hold interest rates at low levels, all the banks will adjust to a zero or low interest rate bank, when in fact the truth is the interest rates should be much higher. And once you let them go up, the banks then are going to have a real tough slog making it back. But that's what you have to pay to, to get back to free markets, to get back to competitive systems. One of the things that continues to annoy me is the idea that the Fed should be targeting jobs or the jobs market or yeah. wages. Okay, that was the that was a de- added to the list uh, back in the Humphrey Hawken days, and that was a long, long time ago. That was in the that was in the uh, I think the sixties, uh, late sixties. The Humphrey Hawkins put in the second mandate, which is jobs, which is incorrect. You know, it's like welfare or anything else, Larry. If you pay people not to work long enough. They never will be able to work. You, you will get them so addicted to being non-working that they can't work. They, they don't have the skills anymore to make the things. So welfare ultimately is something that destroys the people that it's intended to help. And the same thing with low interest rates. Low interest rates will destroy financial institutions that it's intended to save, and it will make them non-competitive forever. So um, the job of the Fed would be hauling all the money they've created, keep the dollar strong. You'd see it in commodity prices, falling commodity prices. Oh, sure. Prices. You'd see it in gold prices, commodity gold. prices, all those. <clears throat> you'd see them rise very sharply at first, <clears throat> and then you'd see them fall. At We're first, not... you know, you'd see the, uh, you know, the tightening of the money making the dollar stronger, but then commodity prices will fall sharply. You'll see the economic growth come back, and then you'll see inflation permanently being brought under control, just the way Paul Volcker and Ronald Reagan did it. And you and I were pretty helpful on that one, too, back then. Yes, yes. But what, um, uh, so the Fed's job is not done. Far from it. I mean, what I would like to see them do is go back to a price rule a la Volcker, Mm 
mm-hmm. which would be a spot commodity price rule. Uh, you may even want to put in some uh, gold clauses in there as well. All right, Art, um, we're going to take a quick commercial break and have you back on the other side, talk some more about this issue, and I want to talk about fiscal policy and which candidates have a pro-growth agenda and which do not. I'm Larry Kudlow. Folks, we're talking to the great Art Laffer of the Laffer Curve, the father of supply-side economics. His book, Taxes Have Consequences, an uh, income tax history of the United States, just out Very important book. You should take a look at it. We'll be right back. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm here with the great Art Laffer of Laffer Curve fame, the father of supply-side economics, Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, and author of the important new book, Taxes Have Consequences, an Income Tax History of the United States. Uh, Art, you know, on this issue of inflation, um, there is the supply-side component that you helped pioneer. Um, the Fed can't really probably do it all by itself. And so the question becomes spending, taxing, regulating, and so forth. Uh, we're going to have to have some big policy changes. Yeah, it's something, Larry, that you've been talking about a long time. It's the, called the Phillips Curve. And, you know, the Fed and others in Washington really do believe that if you slow the economy down, that will help cure inflation. And there is an element of truth in that. If you crush it enough, my God, you can do all sorts of damage. But rather than trying to reduce the demand curve, which is what they're doing, uh, we should really try to expand the supply curve. And if you can increase the supply of goods and services, you will help very much bring inflation down. And, and that's the real key to doing a long-term inflation control is, you know, rapidly growing countries have much lower inflation than uh, slow-growing, uh, lethargic countries. And, you know, we really need to expand the supply side with tax cuts, spending restraint, deregulation, free trade. Those are all there, as well as trying to control the monetary side, uh, which is the Fed's balance sheet. So why don't these candidates talk about that? You just said it so clearly. I mean, that's what we need to hear. It's going to be a pocketbook uh, election, a kitchen table election, because the economy is so sluggish and inflation is so sticky. I mean, it seems to me we need to hear that from these candidates. Yeah, we do. But, you know, there, there are pollsters and there are people in there that are advising them on all sorts of stuff other than the real stuff. The real thing that creates a good election outcomes is economic growth. That does do it. But you would talk to a pollster and see if they talk about that. Almost never. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk to a professor of economics at Harvard or Princeton or Columbia or these types of things. They'll talk about you've got to crush inflation by crushing demand. That's what you'll hear them say. Until these people see it happen in the, in the, in the literal in the marketplace for votes. Now, that's what happened in California in 1978 called Proposition 13. It was opposed by the Democrats, opposed by Republicans. It was opposed by all the unions. It was opposed by Small Business Federation, the Business Roundtable. All of them opposed it vociferously. 
and it won by 65-35, Larry. That was the one seminal event that got Reagan to be on board with tax cuts and pro-growth policies. I know of nothing more important to Reagan's future than to see the election results of Proposition 13. Hmm. And we need something like that for these candidates. They have not had an aw shucks moment or an epiphany. They haven't. They need one. And they might get one the wrong way, unfortunately. Well, it was interesting. Um, In both the CNN town hall debate and also the Sean Hannity taunt, uh, town hall debate, uh, that was uh, Thursday night. <clears throat> Trump did walk through some of those things. I mean, he was pretty good. You know, he talked about drill, baby, drill. He talked about his tax cuts. He talked about his deregulation. I mean, he's kind of the closest to it. Oh, yeah, he's I'm not, by far the closest. I'm not so hearing it from the others. I, I don't know why Governor DeSantis doesn't adopt an economic plan. He will. Oh, he will. You know, we're really early in this thing. And, you know, when I look at the candidates and, and, and in all honesty, and, and I'm being really serious here, I mean, Tim Scott's great. Uh, mm-hmm. DeSantis is good. He's really good. But when it comes to quality on economics, it is Trump who leads the field by miles. Uh, you know, Trump has the experience. He did it. I mean, he just didn't talk about it, Larry. With your counsel there and a few others, he literally put in the tax bill. He literally did do Operation Warp Speed. He literally did price transparency. I mean, these are things that he's done, and it worked, and he will. He clearly understands it better than the other candidates do right now. As he talks about it, I mean, I think that's a, a very underrated reason why his polls have improved so much in the last few months. Now, you know, I think so, say, too. I think you're completely right. You know, people and if say, DeSantis got a, the growth message, he can maybe give him a challenge. Uh, Tim Scott. Now, Tim Scott really understands the role of growth in the inner cities and allowing the poor, the minorities, the disenfranchised to share in American prosperity. He's just he's really good on that, uh, but he doesn't have the macro stuff yet. At least I haven't seen it. Mm. Uh, but he I, I take very seriously. I take DeSantis very seriously. And obviously, Trump, I think, is way ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me. People um, say his poll shot up because of the you know, weaponization of the Justice Department against him and so forth. I- I'm sure that plays a role, but he's had a pretty steady economic message, and, and that's, you know, the press doesn't report that. I think that's a big factor in his rise. Yeah, I mean, look, at Manafort had all sorts of people coming after him and going after him and all that stuff, Paul Manafort, and, and mm-hmm. you get to some other ones there. Uh, some of the other ones it had, and that didn't shoot up their polls. Trump's polls are there because everyone knows he's competent, Mm -hmm. and everyone knows he's competent to handle the bad economy that exists right now. He's done it for one full term and did a great job, by the way. On economics, he was great. Now, are the Democrats hopelessly mired in this big government socialism? I mean, the days of John F. Kennedy are gone no, they're uh, not. The days no, of no, Bill no. I just went down in Colorado. Just there was a big event for Governor Polis in Denver, put on by Larry Mizell. If you you remember Larry, and yes. he put it on, and I was the surprise speaker and an introducer of Jared, hmm. who is a Democrat, gay, two children, a phenomenal person, really the salt of the earth. He was the only Democrat member of the uh, of the Liberty Caucus. Uh, Jared has cut taxes in Colorado, both property and income taxes, much to the consternation of Republicans and Democrats. It's the first state that has toothful uh, uh, transparency, medical transparency in it. He's done all sorts of – he was the best governor on the response to COVID. 
This is a Democrat who is in the Kennedy image. And I think the Democrats can come back with good people, good things, once they shake off the Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warrens of this world. Did you tell them to run? Uh, yes, of course. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not a good pollster. <laughs> you know, he's a wonderful person. But the neat thing about him, Larry, if I can, is, is that he's not driven to run because he wants to be there. He is someone who wants something to happen no matter who's there. And he is really focused on policy, policy, and policy. And, you know, he says, if I'm not president, I don't care uh, as long as we get good policies, and mm. which is a very different thing than the motivation of all these other people who are trying to run for president. They mm. want to be there no matter what happens. Let's wrap up. What's the outlook for the U.S. economy now, Art? Well, it's not very good. I mean, we did have a very nice uh, blip up, which was uh, Kevin McCarthy did a great job on the, on the bill, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we got it passed. I'm not glad it's now behind us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the policies, the underlying policy mix of this country is not good. And we'll just have to really wait and see what happens in 2024 before we really know whether we can turn the corner. But once we start turning that corner, Larry, watch out because the smoke will fill and the rocket ship will take off. And once it starts, there's no stopping it. And the stock market can go back up? It can. I'm not I'm not hopeful in the next 12 months, but but it can sure can. Right. If the stock market sees a change in the politics, you'll see that market respond. Love, love, love. Art Laffer. Thanks for helping us. We appreciate it so much to hear your wisdom. Larry, you take you care. Dead. 